Pastor Xavier Reese on the finality of man. Romans 5.12, by one man sin entered in, through sin death entered in, and sin and death passed to all men. And so all of us are sinners. The result being that we are a race of fallen men and women who end up in physical death. A friendly undertaker closes all his correspondence this way. Listen, eventually yours. Nobody gets out of here alive. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It seems that at least in America, possessions and pleasure are high up on the priority list of what's important. Well, today, as he continues the series Creation of Babel, Pastor Xavier helps us face the inevitable outcome for everyone, death. So no matter how you choose to live, you have no choice when it comes to dying. Let's join Pastor Xavier in the book of Genesis for today's lesson aptly titled, No One Gets Out of Here Alive. Voltaire, the noted French infidel, who boasted at one time in 20 years Christianity will be no more, and of Christ he said, curse the wretch, but Voltaire forgot that he too had to die. The nurse who attended Voltaire said the following, For all the wealth in Europe, I would not see another infidel die. The physician, Trochum, waiting up with Voltaire at his death, said that he cried out most desperately. Here is his words. I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months' life. The doctor replied, Sir, you cannot live six weeks. Voltaire replied, then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. Oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ. Everybody can shoot their mouth, but everybody's going to have to die. Since the days of Adam, all have died, according to God's word. In the day that you eat, you shall surely die, Genesis 2.17. There's been no exception except we saw, of course, Enoch, and there'll be one more, Elijah down in history, the only two. The record of Genesis in chapter 5 is really God's confirmation as his words were to Adam. God means what he says, so the scriptures are the authority for life and death. The longest living as we use our text here, 527, it is Methuselah. The days of Methuselah, all the days were 969 years, and he died. And so you have this whole record of 600, 700, 800, so on and so forth, and he died, and he died, and he died. This is God's record that what he told Adam came to pass. We may not always understand what God says clearly, but we have to believe that what he says is true and it will come to pass. And sometimes men through this, his intellect and his own reasoning, he tries to explain things away and water them down. God has laid things out. The Bible is written and has been stated Anybody can understand the gospel of their hearts open because the Holy Spirit will turn the light on. Man has no excuse. Physical death is one of the most tragic things in that it never had to take place. But it took place because of disobedience. Now, as you know, there are countless religions and beliefs and opinions and speculations about life and death and life after death, especially with our so-called quote-unquote progressive thinkers of today. Some believe wholeheartedly that um, life is all there is to this existence. There's no existence afterwards and that hell and heaven are merely 
fictitious things that the Christian community has made to kind of just spoil people's lives and fun. And therefore, they, they live for all the gusto they can. They're party animals. They, they live like that and they die like that. So I'm putting you live like dogs and you die like hogs. Others believe that this life is a mere passing from one to the other. And this life is really the result of the previous one. That's reincarnation. And so you're real careful not to step on bugs or anything else because it might be one of your relatives. <laughs> Am I mocking it? No, it's a grief of heart. Because they've worshipped the creature more than a creator, which is blessed forevermore. Millions and billions of gods. It's destroyed them. Yet others trust a religious security through rituals, norms, ceremony, good works, donating money. And that's how they're going to get into heaven. And still others think they'll go to heaven regardless of how they live. Because we're all God's creatures and God has got to love and therefore we're all going to be in heaven. No. So you've got this variety of array of thinking and opinions. And the amazing thing that in our day today, you've got such a pursuit of the paranormal. Um, you can turn on the television. You can turn on the radio programs. And, and, and you have spiritists talking to dead people and interviewing people. And they're talking to their relatives and, and, and trying to comfort them and all this. And it's like, you know, like, like a, a sitcom or something like that. And you've got real demons active there. Or you have fraud, one of the two. Sometimes a combination, sometimes one or the other. And people are ripped off. And they're being deceived. Now the people are sincere. You even hear testimonies of people who have died and they come back from the dead and they all have the same kind of thing. You know, I went through a tunnel, I went through a light, this and that. And I had peace and, and I, you know, I, and, and he told me, you know, you're going to go back. And I came back. And, and people go, oh, great. But this individual that says this, Lived an immoral life? What greater deception to come back, supposedly, and to tell people, hey, there's nothing to fear about death. You can live any way you want. Whoa. Yeah, there's a light he saw. Satan transforms into an angel of light. It wasn't the light of God. If it was the light of God, it had a different story. You see? And so you have all this deception going on. Who are we to believe? Or to believe the scriptures. I cannot add to the scriptures. I cannot take away. I cannot water them down. And so what we want to do is look to the Bible for the origin of life and death and life after death, even as it comes here. And we'll be looking at the scriptures here. Well, of course, we're going to start in Genesis. And there's going to be kind of a repetition at first. For some of us, the first point will be a little review. But it's necessary so you can establish the foundation. So I'm going to give you three points, okay? First of all, we're going to look at the introduction of death. And then second, we're going to look at the location after death. And we'll finish up with the instruction about death. We're going to let the scriptures speak for themselves. I've told you that in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you have all the theology you need. If you can get the theology down, man, you will be solid. The rest of the Bible just unfolds it in a greater way. But it's all here. Let's begin here with the introduction of death. We start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. The first mention of death is by God as he warns Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The prohibition was not unjust. It wasn't unfair. Adam could have eaten of every tree of the garden except for the one. Very just. The prohibition implies a capacity of choice. You have a capacity of choice. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can have a choice at the end of the sermon, either to go to heaven or to go to hell. You're going to get to choose. 
You're not going to be able to blame God. It's going to be all you're doing. The prohibition communicates a clear consequence. Literally, dying, you shall die. That's what it says. The day that you eat, you will die, and you'll continue to die till you ultimately die physically. That's what happens. The minute a baby's born, they're born, and they're dying until one day they die completely as an old person, literally. And so, spiritual death took place immediately. They hit themselves, and physical death began immediately also. Fellowship was broken, and ultimately, the body's broken in death. Now, the first temptation through deception brought the death, as we've seen in chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. The enemy and rebel Satan came to Eve, engaged her in that conversation, enticed her through the thoughts of curiosity. She desired the fruit. He brought question to the authority of God. Has God said in verse 1, verse 2 and 3, the woman speaks misquoting and adding to God's words, speaking of her own authority, as we've seen. Satan straightly contradicts the promise of death by God. You will not surely die in verse 4. Satan and people will always try to contradict the Bible. You know why? Because the Bible is very, very clear. Very straightforward. And people can't believe God has the nerve to say what he does. (laughs) But why does he do it? Because he loves his creation. He loves the creatures. He wants to warn them. Finally, Satan attacks the goodness of God in verse 5. For God knows that the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman, as you know, she ate in verse 6 through 8, gave to her husband. She saw the tree was good for food. The lust of the eye, she thought it was pleasant to the eye, the lust of the flesh, and she saw the desire to make one wise, the pride of life. She ate of the fruit she gave to her husband. Their eyes were open. They tried to hide themselves, but you can't hide from God. Immediately, spiritual death took place out of fellowship. Immediately, physical death began to work its way. The cells began to deteriorate. So God pronounced the verdict upon the man and the woman and the earth. From verse 15, he gives the promise of the Redeemer, the seed of the woman. If they would trust the Redeemer to come, they would escape eternal death. And so they are kicked out of the garden, separated from God's ideal, not to work out the redemptive story as they look to God. And so when we get to chapter 4, we have the first recording about death And it is personal and historical. As you know, in chapter 4, verse 8, the personal record is found in the death of Abel. The death of Abel was through violence, not natural consequences of physical death. Even as Cain treacherously killed his brother there in the field. And we saw that. Cain must have been astonished. His brother had just seconds earlier been talking and moving. And now he laid there lifeless. The first time he saw a human being dead, he had seen animals die or sacrifice, but never a human being. The very first one, his own brother. The historical record is found in the genealogy of Adam in chapter 5. And no matter how long they lived, you go through there eight times in verse 5, 8, 11, 14, 17, 20, 27, 31. He lived so-and-so, 600, 700, 800, 900, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. 
God meant what he told Adam. The longest living person is our man Methuselah in verse 27. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, but he died. He died. In Washington, D.C., a friendly undertaker closes all his correspondence this way. Listen, quote, eventually yours. <laughs> Nobody gets out of here alive. The disobedience of Adam as the federal head of man was recognized by God as acting and affecting the entire human race. Romans 5.12, you know that. By one man sin entered in, through sin death entered in, and sin and death passed to all men. And so all of us are sinners. All of us die. The result being that we are a race of fallen men and women who end up in physical death. Romans 3, 23, the wages of sin is death. It's wages, we work for it. The works of the flesh, you find them in Galatians. People work for them. You see a person live a life for themselves and, and, and just ruin their life. They, they, those are wages that they've put out. And then somehow we want to blame society. We want to blame others for the decisions we've made. We all walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2, children of wrath by nature. One of the darkest definitions of man in the scriptures is this, in Ephesians 2, 12, listen. Each of us was without Christ, having no hope without God in the world. Dark, dark, dark. You remember? I remember just growing up and, and being out in the world. Man, I thought it was just, man, I was partying. I was, man, this is living. It was dying. I was, I, were, I was a good party animal. I worked at dying. I went out of my way to die. I didn't sleep for two, three days at a time. I just drank. I just partied. I just, you know, you know, think you're bad. You're dumb. Then you have the nerve to come home two days later and say, oh, that was great. When's the last time we stayed two days up praying, ministering to somebody? We as fallen people have the greatest capacity for sin. The catalog is in chapter 1 of Romans. Debauched, unclean thoughts, vile affections, reprobate minds. Changing the natural use of the man and the woman. Homosexuality, lesbianism, calling it normal when it isn't. Corruption, perversion. Living in an adulterous relationship. Living in fornication like nothing happens and saying there's nothing wrong with it. Now all of us live like that in one way or another. Now with Christ, our eyes are open. We realize, man, it just, it brings so many problems. It destroys so much life. Every person is under sin and guilty before God. Romans 3, 9 through 10 says, down to 20. Everybody. Nobody's innocent. Nobody is without sin. The failure to recognize and agree with the record of God is eternally fatal, eternally fatal. If we say that we, it is not fair that we should pay for Adam and the sin that he committed and that we're not responsible, then what we are saying is that God is unjust. And then how are we going to explain 
why it is that we do bad things. If Adam's sin did not affect me, how do I explain my sinfulness? How do I explain my evil thoughts? How do I explain the evil in the world? The problem is the heart. I'm a sinner. If we say there is no such thing as sin, how do we explain guilt of our conscience when we first do something wrong, when we first start up? Romans 2.15 says that God has given us a conscience. Remember the first time you did something wrong? You stole, you lied. First time you got drunk, you got loaded. What happened? Now, after a while, we became professionals, and we didn't even bother us because we calloused our conscience. But the first time was hard. If we say we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, the Bible says we lie and we do not practice the truth in 1 John 1, 6. And so you have a lot of people who are blind like you and I were. I'd go to church once in a great while when I was in trouble. And I'd call on God. But he had nothing to do with my personal life. I lived the way I wanted to. Deception. If we say we have no sin nature, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 8 says, that's great deception because it's self-deception. How can I say I have no sin nature or commit sins when I do the things I do? If we say that death is not related to the ridiculous story, the so-called of the fall of Adam and Eve, then how do we explain death? Where did it come from? Why is it here? But if we believe the record of the scriptures, then we have answers for all that goes on in the world. It's very clear. There's no need to theorize. There's no need to speculate. It's absolute truth. Psalm 14.1 says that if we say there is no God, we're fools. The fool has said in his heart, no God. The introduction of death was not God's doing, is it? It's man's. We can't blame God. And how often man says, well, why did God do this? And if God is God, why did he cause all this? Why does he allow evil? This and that? Well, look at the Genesis record. Look at the scriptures. They want to blame God. Now, let's look at the location after death. Everybody has to die, as we said. Now, the Old Testament describes the place after death as Sheol. And as, that is the common place without distinction. In other words, Sheol is a Hebrew word that means the world of the dead and is used to describe the place of the departed spirits and the souls, be they righteous or wicked. They go to one place, Sheol. So the Old Testament is very general. It's not really specific. It just says when a person dies, they go to Sheol. That's both righteous and the wicked. The word appears 65 times in the Old Testament, translated in the King James, the old King James, grave 31 times, hell 31 times, and pit three times. But it all describes the same place. Now, the word is used prophetically of Christ. If you remember in Psalm 1610, listen. He says, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see or undergo corruption. Prophetic of Christ who would die, be put in the tomb, go down to Sheol, and preach to those prisoners there. We'll look at that in Peter in a little while. It was prophetic of him. Because he went down in fulfillment of the scriptures, because he literally died. Now, 
The patriarch Jacob, mourning for Joseph, remember later on in Genesis 37, 35, says, I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. So again, very general. There's no real distinction between the wicked and the righteous, but that's where they both go. David said when his child died, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me, 2 Samuel 12, 23. No one comes back from the dead. In spite of all the testimonials that people say, no one comes back from the dead. Now, Job asked a question in Job 14, 14, if a man die, shall he live again? And he answers it immediately in the affirmative. Listen, all the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. As general as the promise was in the Old Testament, he was confident that he would be changed after death. You know he suffered greatly, but he knew where he was going. Now in the New Testament, it describes the place after death as Hades. Hades in the Greek word, or in the Greek, it means the place of unseen or departed, equivalent to that Old Testament, shield. Jesus makes many references, and all the references really are by Jesus except for one. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where it is translated grave. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven because hell is a place that is real and if people don't make a decision to go to heaven, they will end up in hell. And he loves mankind so much, he doesn't want them to perish. All of these reverence come from the mouth of Jesus. The condition of the dead before the cross, as you know, is explained to us in the Gospel of Luke. Just jot down Luke 16, verse 19 to 31. You know the story. And by the way, it's not a parable. Jesus never used personal names for parables. He gives names here. This is an actual story of a rich man who died and Lazarus the beggar, okay? Now, in that story, as you know, we are told that they both died. They were carried, one to the place of torment, the other one to the bosom of the Father in comfort. Hades was divided into two places, the bosom of Abraham, comfort, paradise, place of torment. It's very clear, verse 22 through 25. There was a dividing line a clear fixed gulf that prohibited one from coming to one place as well as the other going to the other place. Now we get a lot of speculative things. I only know from my background of Catholicism, they used to speak about limbo and purgatory. Limbo for the child who wasn't baptized and then they would be out there just floating around or whatever. And then purgatory, of course, if you're, you know, so-so, you go to hell a little bit, you, you know, pay a little price and be there suffering, then they'll pray you up in stages and you go to heaven. Okay, it's all wishful thinking. The Bible says you go to heaven or you go to hell. So you've got a lot of things that men try to water down that add to the word of God. So the plumb line, once again, is the word of God, not our opinion or speculation. Now, remember the plea. I have brothers. I don't want them to come to this place. Send them back from the dead. He had consciousness, he remembered, he did not cease to exist. And Jesus told him that 
God through there through the bosom of the Father, through Abraham, he says that they had the scriptures, they had Moses. If they don't believe them, they will not believe in, even if someone comes back from the dead. Guess what? Jesus has come back from the dead. Do people believe it? No. Absolutely not. Hades can only be avoided by paying heed to the scriptures, verse 31 of Luke 16 says. Only by paying heed to the scriptures. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth on how to avoid eternity in hell. And you can pick up a copy of today's thought-provoking message called No One Gets Out of Here Alive. It's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to pass on to those in your church and Bible study. Now, the title to ask for once again is No One Gets Out of Here Alive. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. There are many who are trying to conquer death, but Pastor Xavier Reese says there's only one way to ensure victory. That's on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com